That's the power of the cross. See the chains fall. It's hard to imagine a much more powerful sentence than that. As you may have uh, noticed, at least the more observant of you, we will deal with prayer this morning, right? It's on the front of the bulletin. And uh, I want us to, to deal with this from a passage that may be as well known to you as any passage that you have heard of, even people that uh, have never seen the face of the church are often familiar with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, um, and so as I, I open this, if you turn to Genesis, that should be easy to find, right? It's the first book of the Bible. Go to chapter 18, and uh, we will read from there. A little while back, a group of men came to me and asked, Dr. Vong, we have been inspired to start some prayer groups. How do we get that done in the best way? And we prayed together and we, we talked about this. And now, at last I heard, there were 13 or 14 groups already going. If you sense that the Lord may be calling you to be a part of a prayer group like that, nothing expresses the passion and the fervor and the love of a church more than participation in prayer groups. I think we know that. We don't get any closer to the heartbeat of God than when we gather to seek him in prayer. Let me read with you, uh, if you have your Bibles, and I'm sure the text will come up here as well, the story begins uh, in, uh, in verse 1, of course, and I'm going to summarize the first verses for you. I think most of us know the story that Abraham is sitting in, in, uh, on the meadows of Mamre, if you will, and he has a visit from three visitors that shows up, and they are gonna, they're telling Sarah that although she's way up in age, she will have a child. And Sarah laughs and says, ha. Well, that's good. And they ask, why is she laughing? And she gets all flustered and said, I didn't laugh, she lied. And the Lord looked right back at her and said, yes, you laughed. And so we're going to pick it up uh, from verse 16. And when the men got up to leave... They looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about <clears throat> for Abraham what he has promised him. So the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, <clears throat> I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away righteous 
with the wicked? What if there are 50 people in the city? Will you really sweep away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? Once again, he spoke to him. What if I only... Find 40. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord. What if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left. And Abraham returned home. Life changing. Prayer. I'm pretty sure that most of us have had days, at least, if it's not a pattern, that we can feel sometimes that prayer is kind of words that stop at the ceiling, if you know what I mean. Prayer, for some reason or another, has come, become this exercise that may be therapeutic. It is about us speaking out our needs and our wants and our desires to God much more than it is about allowing him to speak his desire and his purpose and will to us. I wonder if you ever thought about that. What is the reason we have this story in the scripture in the first place? Surely there could be other ways of introducing Isaac than this. But when you start thinking about this story and you start thinking about what's going on here, you will see that this 
is about the flow of how God reveals himself to us. This is a tremendous teaching on prayer and what prayer is all about. We may think that prayer is about us speaking out to God all the time and prayer stopped at the ceiling, but that necessarily was not the problem that Abraham faced. If you look through that story, if you look through any story of Abraham, actually, you'll see it's always God who is the active party and Abraham who is the passive. In other words, it is God who speaks and it is Abraham who listens. Kind of opposite of what we sometimes have turned prayer into I'm afraid. And you wonder, what has happened? Abraham is spending time listening to God, and so the sentences begin like this, God said to Abraham. Before we go further into the text, I want to kind of dismiss a certain reading of this text that has been common, I think, maybe even most common among a lot of people, and we treat this text as if it was some kind of a, a car salesman type thing, that we were able to dig the price down with God in some way. Some of you done that? What if he had continued down to five, right? We keep going, right? God has a prize, I'm going to get it down. That's not what this is about. That's not what this is about at all. There's some very important things, on the contrary, that we need to listen to and learn from this text. And maybe I should also begin by saying that silence is a time for us to listen to God. We're not good with silence. These days, silence is kind of embarrassing, right? Yes, we know that. It's either embarrassing or it's, you know, an opportunity to take a nap. <laughs> Someone said Amen. The question is, why is the most important thing for us today not to listen to God? I wonder sometimes, and I'm asking myself this, are there times when God is sitting and he's saying, if he would just be quiet, I could talk to him. To hear God speak is not necessarily related to mystical type experiences. Some of us may think that. It is primarily about heeding God and the demands that he puts on our lives. God works and talks to us through his holy word as we sit still 
and read and contemplate and listen to God's voice through that. In fact, when you turn to the New Testament, you will see that that word for hear almost never, not exclusive, but very often has very little to do with what is audible. He who has ears to hear will hear. It's not about audible sound. It's about being able to understand at the deeper levels. It's about heeding God, recognizing his voice, not overhearing God's word to us or missing it. May I say also by way of introduction here, to understand what someone says require that we know them. Yes? The better you know someone, the better you understand what they're saying. It's just how it is. I've been married longer now than I more than half my life, I said, that's a better way of saying it, right? Not longer than I've lived. That doesn't work, right? But more than half of the time I lived, I've been married, and we know each other. We have spent so much time talking and thinking together and praying and, and doing all these things. So I know even if I say something that's the opposite of what I mean, she's not confused, and nor am I the other way around. She knows. That's not what I mean, because she can hear, because she knows, and vice versa. Are you hearing me? That, my friend, reflects also in your ability to listen to God. You need to come to know the Lord, and there's only one way for that to happen, and that is to sit with him, listen to him, spend time with him, Till you get to know his voice. When we knew no strangers, there's all kind of ways we can misunderstand a stranger. Especially even if they come from a foreign place, right? If they have a different language or accent, a different culture, all of that, we need to know before we can truly hear. And so that comes by, and that's a part of that, and that is a, kind of a sounding board if you hear what I'm saying for all of prayer. So let's notice the story as, as we're looking at it here. Nothing really in this text indicates that Abraham had any idea who the visitors were when they first came. He treated them with great honor, with great hospitality, with tremendous courtesy and friendliness, just like it was a custom and on the day or back then. But as the conversation developed, it became pretty clear to him who it was that he had before himself. God revealed himself with his knowledge about Sarah and the fact that she would have a child. He made his power visible 
by proclaiming that she would have a child even within the year. He showed his authority when Sarah tried to lie and say that she hadn't laughed and then he firmly looked at her and said, yes, you laughed. And Abraham had no doubt. He stood face to face with God himself and his eyes were wide open in attentiveness. Are you noticing the difference between Abraham here and Sarah? Abraham wide open with attentiveness. Sarah kind of shrugging her shoulders. <laughs> yeah, right. So let me ask you, friends. Does God have your attention? Or you receive God's word kind of like Sarah. When you listen to the exposition of God's word like in a sermon or, or just direct reading from Holy Scriptures, does God have your attention? This is not rhetorical, friends. It's a real question that needs to be answered in your heart and in your soul. And now follows one of the most captivating stories, I think, in all of Scripture when you start reading this. It is describing God as walking across the meadows of Mamre, conversing with Abraham. And although we know good and well that the Almighty God cannot be contained in a singular human moment, we still have this description that he who holds the galaxies in his hand is now allowing himself to be consumed in a conversation with Abraham. And we find in verse 17, even if you still have your Bible open, God talking to himself saying, should I really hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? We see marvel. I mean, if you, is your jaw dropping? It should be. Don't get so accustomed to this. You say, well, it's just a biblical story. It's just all inspiration. Listen to this event. Jaw dropping. But God knew Abraham. I have chosen him as the Bible says in verse 19. And the, me, the word that is used here really means I have made him a friend. God himself had changed their relationship to one another or to them. God had changed the relationship between the creation and the creator, between the sinner and the judge and added a new dimension. I've chosen this man, God says, to be my friend. He is to be a partner. He is to play a role in my plans. He is to partake in my counsel. He is to be part, he's going to be part of my project. 
I've chosen him to be my friend. And may I say to you all, and to myself included, it is in this very special relationship that God allowed the man Abraham to have that we are to understand our own relationship with God. Surely, we are the creatures and he is the creator. Surely, we stand as sinful people before a righteous judge. Surely, we stand as servants before the master. But Jesus changed the relationship between his followers and God by giving them the same status that we just see God give Abraham here in John 15. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, for the servants do not know what their master do, does. I call you friends because everything I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. I hope you're hearing this. Are you hearing this? That's, that's the basis on which we understand prayer. This relationship defines our understanding of prayer. If you are his friend, He will share his thoughts and his plans with you. If you're his partner, he'll make you a part of his projects. No matter whatever else you can say about prayer, genuine prayer has as its first priority to participate in God's counsel. Sitting around God's table, if you will, And be concerned with the questions that matters to his purposes. I can't hardly find words to say this. God invites us to sit at the table in the heavenly boardroom, if you will, and he wants to counsel with us, let us in on his plan. I should hear, woohoo, all over the place. This is amazing. We can't go humdrum on that, friends. There's no way. That's the understanding. That's why you need to spend, we need to spend significant time listening to God. And it's only, friends, when your prayer is lifted to that level that it becomes life-changing. That it will truly change who you are. You're, the task of your prayer is no longer just a question of bringing your own little desires out there, important as they may be. The real issue of prayer is to participate 
in God's counsel. The very agenda for our prayer is written up in heaven and they have to do with things of the greatest consequence for his creation. Prayer is about struggling and engaging prayer at such a level that you are just engaging God until you understand his word and his will. You know, it was Eleanor Roosevelt who said, great people share ideas of great consequence. Average people talk about their circumstances. Small people talk about other people. I want to rephrase that here and simply say great people in, engage God to understand the things of great consequence. And so God takes Abraham in and talks to him about the fate or the destiny of Sodom. The discussion is no longer about Abraham's son. That question was done. It has been taken care of. There was nothing to add. It was now about the things of the greatest consequence. And Abraham found himself shook when he heard what God was saying that he intended to do. Look back here at the text. It's an amazing kind of thing. Did God not understand that not all people in Sodom were like those wicked people? Did he not know that all people are not alike? There were even relatives of Abraham in Sodom. He, Abraham knew the king of Sodom. We heard about that last Sunday night. Surely, surely God couldn't act like this. And God's intentions shook Abraham to the core. I've been contemplating what my reaction would have been to this had I been in that situation. Would I just have said, whatever, God, you're sovereign. You know, what do I know? I'm out. You know, I wish you wouldn't do it, but you know, then again, I'm out. Easy, pseudo-piety, use all the right words, and no depth. What can we say about these often simplistic, superficial type prayers? Even sometimes when we use all the right words, not my will, but your will. Lord, I want you to save this whole city. Please do it. They're going to hear about you. They, I must have it's kind of a radiance where they just see it automatically so I don't have to say anything. 
Just do your thing, God. I'm all for you. And in the end, we wind up with superficiality. And what we see in Abraham is someone who is terrified. Has God really decided this? And he throws his whole life into this conversation with God. And may I say to us all that this is where the school of prayer, I think, is found. Genuine prayer can only be taught where God's friendship or friendship with God demands that you keep struggling, fighting, interceding with God until you understand so much of God's will that you can say yes when God says yes and no when God says no. My concern sometimes with prayer that just becomes a litany of requests or even well-meant prayer. We're not talking about anything that is not well-meant. They just say, God, do your thing. Whatever. Is that we use that to sound like we really love God and then in the end, it's the easy way. We don't have to spend the time to truly understand his purposes, what he's about. And because of that, because there is this easy way out, we can find people all over the place who have been Christians for 10, 20, 30, even 40 years without the maturity of faith, without the strength of God, and without the depth of the Spirit. And Abraham's prayer is the mightiest of contrast to all of this. Abraham is not trying to make a deal with God. And I hope none of us are either. Trying to get the price down. Not quite so much, God. But friends, when it comes to genuine prayer, it's never about the negotiation of the price to follow God. What we meet with Abraham here is someone who is desperate to understand God's will. He refuses to just accept things like they are. He says, God, what is happening? You can't act like that. Should the one who is judging the living and the dead, heaven and earth, not do right? The very foundation for Abraham's life was in danger. If there's one thing he's built his life on, it was the trustworthiness and the faithfulness of God. And now, it was as if he couldn't recognize God. God felt strange at the moment. The, the real question, and I hope we see this here, is not the destiny of Sodom. The real question here 
was Abraham's understanding of God, of his deed, what God was all about. It's one thing to pray for the doomed and the damned. It's quite another thing to question the integrity of Almighty God himself. And of course, Abraham saw the complete, utter insanity of his words. How dare I speak? I'm nothing but even dust and ashes. I can vividly imagine he'd feel queasy just even opening his mouth in front of Almighty God. But he had to. As the one who was invited in to sit around God's table. And it was exactly his vehement persistence that refused to just skate over the difficult things that hindered that his prayer became shallow, powerless, and full of words that didn't matter. Here's a prayer, friends, that at one at the same time fierce almighty power of God and still fears to let go of God before God has revealed his heart. This is a prayer that both fears and longs for at the same time to cry out with Isaiah and say, woe unto me, I'm finished. My eyes have seen the king. And Abraham refused to let go. Clung unto God until God showed himself as faithful. Until Abraham got the point. And we follow this prayer through all his stages. Look at it. We'll never know why he stopped at 10. But one thing is clear. Abraham had been assured of God's faithfulness and trustworthiness. Every single answer from God came back to him. I will spare the city for 50, for 45, for 40, for 30, for 20, for 10. If there are 10 righteous, I will spare the city. And Abraham got the point. He understood. He saw God in a new light. Abraham had grown in his understanding of who God is. He had become a greater human being with a greater God. The prayer had changed him. God's purpose of inviting him in had been accomplished. The meeting was adjourned. 
And Abraham stands here now in the last verse. Alone. Transformed by his experience. Changed by his discovery. Forever. A stronger and more faithful servant of God through his prayer. God had made himself known to him in his infallible greatness. My only question, friend, this morning is this. Does your prayer have this life-transforming quality? The promise of God is that it can come to have it, even if it doesn't at the moment. He wants to invite you in. I no longer call you servants, our Lord Jesus Christ said, but friends. Because the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I'll let you know everything I've heard from the Father. He wants to share God's vision and God's deeds with us that we may participate in that very thing. If we're not stilled in our hearts by a text like this, friends, I'm not sure what would, what would do it. Can we spend a moment just praying? Some of you grab someone next to you and just spend a moment to pray. Some of you may need to cry out to God and say, God, I've used my prayer time just to list stuff rather than to listen to you. Spend a moment. Father, teach us to pray. Give us that relentless heart that was beating also in Abraham's chest. That it makes sense, even for us, that God has revealed a relationship to us through his son, Jesus Christ, that enables us to have entrance into hearing God's sharing of his heart. Father, you know if there's someone that you need to tap on the shoulder way better than even we know this very moment. 
and say, I need you to pray more like Abraham. Father, tap us on the shoulders. There are some here that, that just need to meet you in a very real way for the first time. Father, draw them so close right now that they say, I want to follow Jesus Christ and through him have that relationship with God. And Father, if there are others who just want to know what it means to be in a fellowship where that has the priority, let him see that even here, this will be a great place to join up and participate in our walk with you. Father, we ask all these things because we know you hear us with the love that is expressed so clearly in your son, Jesus Christ. So on his name, calling him Lord, we ask these things for our lives. Amen. Let's stand, friends. If God is calling you to act like we just prayed in any of these ways, do so now.